Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today I am delighted to have a dear old friend back from Pittsburgh, Kansas. And we haven't actually seen each other in forever, so this is really fun. Erica Hill is with us today. Thank you. Hi, Erica. Welcome, Erica. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Erica, where are you joining us from today? I am joining you from sunny Las Vegas, Nevada. (laughs) How long have you lived there? I actually just moved here six months ago. Oh, wow. I lived here like 12 years ago for a year for work and met a really good friend of mine. And we kind of stayed in touch over the years and then recently reconnected and decided that we were in love. And I moved out here to live with him and his son. And me and my son, Luca. So, yeah. Uh, Nice little romantic story. (laughs) We always ask our guests about their families, about your, like, childhood family, and then the family you have now, which I suppose you've kind of already told us a little bit about. Oh, all right. I'm the oldest daughter, or the oldest child. I have a younger brother who's four years younger than me. And my dad, growing up when I was young, was a college basketball coach, so... We, I was born in Springfield, Missouri, and he was the assistant at Missouri State. And then when I was five or six, my dad got the coaching job at Pitt State in, in Kansas. So we moved there. My mom was an aerobics teacher. She liked and worked in stores. She kind of didn't have to work, but she always wanted to work. And, you know, it was her passion was fitness. And um, she also did like everything around the house. So she was like <laughs> your working housewife type of woman. My brother, we were pretty close growing up but like I was that mean big sister that was just like you're (laughs) stupid everything that you do is stupid and I'm cool you know but (laughs) but as we've gotten older we've we've grown pretty close he's now an LA actor and my mom and dad are in Kansas City they're still married through like a roller coaster of ups and downs but they're they're together and they're happy and so now the dynamic of my family has changed significantly um I got pregnant with Luca he's two with another man who it was not a good not a good situation it was very very toxic and decided that that wasn't going to work and uh was in Kansas City because I got knocked up essentially <laughs> so we, I moved back home to kind of be at home and figure out what I was going to do you know with the baby and the lack of a partner and I started talking to Mike and visited and, you know, met each other, kids and whatnot. And then just kind of went on a whim. Like everybody's like, are you crazy? And I'm like, well, I mean, I know known him for 12 years. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So I have my son, Luca, who's two and his son, Elijah is 10. He's actually white and I'm black. So both of our kids are actually biracial. Luca's dad is white and Elijah's mom is black. So a lot to touch on in this episode that really hit home. I got to say, I have a couple tears. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's kind of like the resounding you know, thing that happens with the show. <laughs> yeah. The tagline should just be like, grab your Kleenex. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. It's uh, yeah. Well, actually that's the perfect segue into the last question we always ask guests, which is what is your history with the show Parenthood? Uh, which for a lot of people is no history. You asked me to be on the podcast and I watched this episode. <laughs> so that's my answer. Yeah. No history yes. whatsoever. I mean, I had heard of it and I'd heard mm-hmm. that it was really good. And, you know, I just had never watched it. And now I will probably watch the whole thing because it was oh, so, it was really good. Like, it, I mean, 
first of all, I trust your judgment because you always yes. have such good opinions on really good shows and books and all that. So yeah, it was really good though. So I'm glad you asked me to be on it. Well, today we are discussing Parenthood Season 4, Episode 4, The Talk. It was written by Sarah Watson, directed by Patrick Norris. It originally aired on October 2nd, 2012. And here's the DVD synopsis. Jasmine and Crosby explain an emotional lesson to Jabbar while Christina learns to accept a new normal. Joel puts his faith in Victor while he tries out a new activity. And Sarah begins to see sensitivities in Hank. So first of all, I just want to put out a content warning, so to speak, for listeners that this episode deals with racial epithets, namely the N-word. Neither Melissa nor I are going to say the word, obviously, but it will be in clips that we play from the show. So just a heads up for that. The first thing I wanted to mention, I figured we'd just go right into the the main storyline here, which was about Jabbar hearing this word and having the talk from his mom. I want to mention first that this episode is written and directed by white people, which, you know, I don't even know what I have to say about it yet, but (laughs) I I did want to say that I found an interview from a website called budgetandthebeach.com with the writer, (laughs) Sarah Watson. Okay. And she said... I'm particularly proud of the N-word episode in which Crosby and Jasmine have to explain the N-word to their biracial son. I received so many nice letters and comments about it. One of the best critical reviews I've ever received was for that episode, and I thought it was funny that the critic Googled me or something so that she could point out in her review that the writer of the episode was white. I'd never had my whiteness called out in a review before. That's privilege. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, yeah, I mean, you're, race is going to be brought up when you're white and you're writing a black dialogue dialogue that has to do with black people and their experiences and I honestly I did not know that I feel like they probably had Joy Bryant or yeah Joy Joy Bryant the actress yeah yeah she probably wouldn't have been like would have been like no this is not no this is not you know what I mean if if she didn't feel comfortable with how it was brought about I thought it was very well done you know good I did too and yeah I really hope that they did consult with her and you know because the whole point (laughs) I felt was that like Crosby was not equipped to have that talk and so yeah I think it would mirror you know who (laughs) should write the talk so absolutely So let's start with how Crosby brought it to Jasmine's attention that they needed to tackle this issue. We were in that recording session together, and he overheard some words that he shouldn't have heard. (laughs) What, like pentacular? Among other things. Like what? Biatch and um, ho. Ho? uh, Ho bag. That's not actually better. And um, (laughs) nigga. What do you mean, like... With the A or ER? I think every iteration. Yeah, of, it's just, it doesn't even matter. Anymore. I I think though I, I explained it to him. I said, you know, it's a terrible, terrible word like Voldemort. You know, from Harry Potter, he who shall not be named. Yeah, I, I know, and that word is nothing like Voldemort. No, no, worse. I said it was worse. Wait, like way worse. All right, so you you think you handled it? Yeah. Maybe not entirely. He was still confused because double D said it and he wanted to know why he was allowed to say it and what'd you say well i got kind of flustered and i said you know he's allowed to say it because he's black and then jamar said i'm black can i say it and i said no 
He said, why? And then I said, oh, Voldemort again. Right. And then I got, I just, I got flustered. Right. I'm sorry. You don't have to be sorry. I mean, of course you wouldn't know how to handle this. I need to talk to him. I need to have the talk with him. Voldemort. <laughs> that was where my mind was like, huh? Oh my God, that is not a good analogy at all. <laughs> doesn't touch on anything okay although i thought it was fairly believable for him that he would grasp at something like that which yeah. i right, found that right. funny but it felt believable yeah. but still not <laughs> missing the good mark. Yeah. but 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 the way that a person really <laughs> yeah. would miss the mark you know right. that did feel real right right exactly it, it felt very real it was just like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, uh, but yeah, I mean, he, I'm. I think that it's really good that he told her exactly what he did say, so that she could kind of backtrack on that and figure <laughs> out what she, what actually needed to be said. And I'm also glad that he didn't go too far with it because it really isn't his experience to talk about, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she was like, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need to step in on that one." So yeah. <laughs> it was definitely very believable. I could see myself. <laughs> okay, oh no we're gonna have to redo that <laughs> to be redone. i kind of felt like when she said of course you wouldn't know like how to handle that i of course being like impartial in my living room at home <laughs> i thought yes she is right he wouldn't but i wondered if him not being impartial and being married to her and like them having all kinds of like, you know, just arguments that like a couple would have over the years, if he felt defensive in a way that I wish he wouldn't have, do you know what I mean? Like, I think he was taking that as like a value judgment, like you Crosby wouldn't know what to say there. And what she was saying, if I'm interpreting correctly, is you, a white person, wouldn't know what to say because that is not your lived experience. You, you have not been through that. And I think that he maybe got offended in a way that... I think if he was able to take a beat, maybe he wouldn't have been. Maybe he would have just understood that she was just speaking factually, you know? Like, she didn't mean it as an insult. She just meant, you have not been through this, and I have, and Jabbar will. I agree. I agree with that. Um, I think a lot of times, when it comes to racial issues, particularly, sometimes facts hurt because you, you want to feel like you understand, and you want to feel like you know, and you want to feel like you're not in the wrong in any way. But the reality is that you don't know. You know what I mean? So I, I think that I understand the sensitivity there, but like, it's like, that's like somebody telling me that I wouldn't know how to explain a white experience. I don't, I wouldn't because I'm not, you know? So yeah, I think yeah. He, he did get his feelings hurt, but yeah, I can see where he, where he could misunderstand that. Well, then he has this, the second scene they have, he sort of voices that. And I feel like he does at least drop it pretty quickly, but you can tell that I don't think he's actually dropped it in his own mind. Are you sure that we have to do this right now? I just feel like maybe we're going to shatter his innocence and he's so young. Yeah, um, I'm not thrilled about it either, but it has to happen. Because you said it needs to... No, because it needs to happen. I, did, I feel like you're pulling rank a little bit because, you know... You know, because I'm black. Because you're black, yeah. I yeah. feel like you pulled rank. <laughs> Baby, you have to respect the fact that I have an understanding on the subject that you don't. And the fact is, that word means something different to Jabbar because he's black. 
All right, that's fair. I'm, but he's also half white. Right. Which, you know, he can use his white card when he gets pulled over by the cops for driving while black. He can just say, uh -huh. I'm actually half white. <laughs> okay. Right? He's eight years old and we live in Berkeley, so I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. I know you're not that naive. Look, there are things in the world that aren't pretty, and eventually he's going to hear something he shouldn't. Like, what happened? And I would just rather him hear the truth from me before that happens. Okay. I want to be there, though. Okay. First of all, what do you think about Jabbar never having heard that word at age eight? Because I, I looked up stuff about this episode and I read a blog by Coco Pops, whose real name is Wendy Todd, where she said that that seemed unrealistic to her because she was much younger when she heard it. And she said she was 10 years old when she was first called it. Wow. And I wondered, you know, is that Jabbar having been born in... 2004 and living in Berkeley that maybe the age when he would hear it would actually go up or is it the show just thought this would be a good story and so they're just pretending well yeah he just hasn't heard it yet or the white writer of the show just didn't know I think that for me I mean I was like I said I was born in Springfield Missouri and then Pittsburgh Kansas and then Overland Park Kansas it wasn't even Kansas City you know what I mean so like I think though that my parents were very they did not protect me from stuff like that. They definitely educated me at a very, very early age, partially because we lived in the areas that we lived in, you know? So I think mm -hmm. that may be part of it, that he was in Berkeley, a very liberal, you know, um, California town. And, but also like, I remember the word wasn't in music like it is today though. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like there was such, there's, it's in every freaking rap song you hear and so that makes it hard for me to believe that he'd never heard it before especially if yeah. his dad is recording music but sometimes kids are more protected from that kind of experience you know I just remember being called a chocolate bar as, as an insult in first grade and I didn't I was like I like chocolate but I remember him being you're just a chocolate bar and I was like wow okay like and my mom I told my mom and she complained to the school and the school did nothing and yeah. And it was just, it, I, throughout my entire existence, I've been around mostly white people. So like, it was just always ingrained into me that some people are going to be racist and some people are going to say words that are not nice. I remember we were driving, I, I was very young. I don't know exactly how old, but my brother was a baby and we were driving in Springfield, like by a park. And there were police officers and everybody like directing traffic. And there was just all these people. And my mom, I saw her like a look of fear, a terror in her eyes and in her demeanor. And I was like, mommy, what's wrong? She's like, shh, shh, shh. we just got to get through this. And I was like, okay. And she's like, there's a KKK rally right now. Heart. Oh my God. And she was just like, I'm I was terrified to like drive with my black children through this. And I couldn't get out because it was a traffic thing. And so, you know, and I had to, that was when I was like, what is a KKK, you know, and then yeah. I had to have that talk about that. And I just remember my whole life thinking like, why do people hate us? You know, like, I, I just could not wrap my mind around it. But yeah, I think depending on yeah, your location, what your parents decide to talk to you about. I also not biracial, both of my parents are black. My mom, my dad says is black, she's biracial. But yeah, I think it's, it's just every kids experience with racism and hearing that word is going to be a little different but from a very young age I was very aware of what that was you know yeah. and then I remember being a little older sorry I'm like blabbing no, off I remember no, being a little you. older 
Um, and my dad was with his friends and like, they're just drinking beer and hanging out. And we went up to Kansas city to visit his friends. And he said, Oh man, nigga, this, blah, blah, blah. and I was like, daddy, you can't say that word. And he was like, yeah, I can. Me and my friends can say it. And I was just like, then I was like, but I, I thought it was bad. Like, like it's bad. So it's like, this is confusing for a black person growing up as it is for a white person. It's like, but I can't, they can't say it, but I can, but I don't even want to say it. Like, you know, no, that's, that is a really good point. Yeah, totally. And I mean, not that I really have any idea about this, but I did find it interesting that when Jabbar said, you know, uh, can I say it, that Crosby's answer was no. And then Jasmine's answer was also no. And I thought that's interesting to me. Like that makes sense to say to a child, especially something so uh, just heavy, I guess, as that, you know, it's, it's got so many connotations and everything. But then I thought, well, when he's older, he might, and he might not, you know, it might just depend on who he is. But anyway, I thought that was an interesting um, aspect of it that they both said no. And then I thought, well, you just, yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting too, because I thought about it because I have biracial kids, you know, um, now Elijah is my stepson. So it's kind of more touchy with him. I, I don't have as much say in his upbringing and what what is said to him so but I think about it with Luca a lot um and with Elijah but I think about because they're kids kids shouldn't be saying you know what I mean it's yeah. like the kids shouldn't be walking around like hey nigga like no it's just, <laughs> it's just the answer at that point is just no and yeah, then as they yeah. get older you can explain kind of the nuances and the dynamics of that word but like it's too hard yeah. for a kid to really understand I think no, totally. That makes sense. I remembered this storyline, but I was still surprised that Crosby was so fragile as yeah. to accuse <laughs> Jasmine of pulling rank. Like, uh, I mean, because like you said, Melissa, what a terrible I felt, phrase. I felt like the way Jasmine framed it, it, at least to me, it didn't feel personal to him. It wasn't like yeah. you, Crosby Braverman, are unequipped to talk about this because you're such a dolt. You know, like no, no, it yeah. was, it's not your fault that you're not like, able you're to have pulling this. rank. Like that yeah. was offensive to me. It's like very offensive. Yeah, yeah. pulling yeah. rank and like, and she, I like that she's like because I'm black. <laughs> like, <laughs> pulling rank doesn't even make sense in that. In no. that, you know, I'm no. literally I have more experience and know what to say. Like, yeah, pulling rank. I was okay. trying to think about like. You know, if I had a daughter, if I were raising a daughter and, for instance, had to explain, like, menstruation to her, it's not that I'd be incapable of providing information, but I'll never have any personal experience. And if a woman told me that, I wouldn't take offense at it. At least I hope I wouldn't, because it's it's just the way it is. Like, I would be grateful if there were a woman to fill <laughs> that gap for me yeah. and help me exactly out. exactly like I have boys like I don't I, yeah I could do some research and like you know like ask other guys but thank god there's a man here to actually say hey I have a penis this is what's gonna happen <laughs> yeah you know like <laughs> yes totally but I you know at the same time as as a as offensive and and you know, tone deaf and all kinds of words that Crosby's reaction was, I think I was weirdly grateful it was in the episode because I think 
that is how a lot of people are. And so I think it was good maybe to illustrate, this is what you sound like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this is what this looks like. And yeah, that, that fragile word is a really good one. Cause that is, that is what <laughs> white fragility is. You know, it's like, oh gosh, my feelings are so hurt. It's like, let's compare that, <laughs> you know, yeah. to what Jasmine's talking about, you know, like that's, it doesn't compare. And so yeah, I think that this was important to see him kind of get to get it, you know, eventually like, oh, right. Once you see it. And I understand, like, as he says later, that it would it would hurt to know there are ways in which you're not going to be able to connect with your child and that maybe his wife is going to be able to. But there's like nothing to be done about that. I mean, you can yeah. still love your son as he does and. I think you just have to, and as as she says, like very graciously, she's she handles Crosby <laughs> so gently. I thought so through the whole episode. Yeah, I agree. I agree because I feel like there's a positive and, a, and sort of a negative of that. It's like, yeah, I feel like as a black person, as a woman, sometimes we have to react so gently. Mm. Otherwise, it's just gonna blow up, and we have to be the ones to step back and okay, this is, you know, like coddle somebody into, right. you, know, believe, you know, whatever it is. So, but I also believe that that is the only way that you can make it work is by reacting like that. Like I'm just in any general argument or situation, like I've had to learn to take a step back and be like, okay, <laughs> you know, because otherwise it's yeah. just nothing's going to get achieved. But it's so unfair. I remember to work in Lawrence, you have to do this beyond diversity program. And I remember we were all supposed to write down to what extent, like, like a percentage that race impacted our lives. And the secret right answer for everyone, no matter their race was 100%. But it was interesting how many white people wrote down like 0%, like race doesn't impact me at all. And it was only, (laughs) it was only people of color and black people. (laughs) Right. Right. And it was so interesting because there was a a woman who who stood up and said like every day when she went to work she had to like put on armor and she had to think about how she was going to interact with people and she had to choose her words so carefully so as not to offend and it was really it was really interesting because after she spoke there was this pretty vocal white guy in the room who had been one of the people saying, well, I guess I should just feel guilty all the time because I'm white, you know, totally missing the mark and saying really awful offensive mm-hmm. things. And after she spoke, he, 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 to his credit, I guess he, he did say, okay, I need to change my answer to a hundred percent because I could not relate to a single thing that she just said. He's like, I've never had to do that ever. And I've never even thought about it before. And it was like, wow. Like, really? No kidding. But yeah, yeah. that's great. That just <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, you get that a lot. It's such fragility. And it's like, I mean, nobody is like mad at you personally. We're just asking you to address what has been handled wrong and, you know, switch up your attitude. And if you already are there, good. It's not you. You're not the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, like little lines in that last scene, like, you know, when Crosby says that because of where Jabbar is growing up, he's like going to be shielded from racism or something. And Jasmine says, I know you're not that naive. Yes. That was where my, like, I like kind of got teary eyed. The one of the times. Cause that is just like, it doesn't matter where you like, 
you will have to be black wherever you go and whoever day it is, whoever cop you may encounter. That doesn't, yeah, it was like just that moment. Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned cops and I, and, and, you know, Crosby and Jasmine barely do. They do when um, she says, well, yeah, he can just tell the police officers that he's actually half white when they pull him over. And I know that this episode aired in 2012. So different conversations, I think, were happening then than even now. It may not seem like that much later, but I I, I don't know. Like, I feel like... Yeah, it has changed. The, the, yeah. of, the, the dynamic of, especially with police officers, because before, you know, all of the hoopla... I feel like we were the only ones who were aware of that. Right, <laughs> My dad would get right. pulled over in Lenexa all the time because we didn't have a nice car. And start where are you headed? Uh, home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I live in Lenexa, Kansas. Like, you know what I mean? And yeah, it, yeah. I went to court there a couple of times because I was a teenager and did stupid things. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> the population of black and brown people in Lenexa is so low, but the population of brown and black people in that courtroom, right? it was <laughs> ridiculous. So, yeah, it's something that I don't think really was brought to a lot of people's attention until now. And I'm grateful for it. Sometimes I have to, like, literally just not look at anything for a while because it gets so overwhelming. Well, and it was interesting because I, I noticed that Jasmine says, you know, I'll have to have a talk. And then she's like, the talk. And I think it makes sense to call this the talk. But I feel like I've heard that sometimes the talk with young black boys is more about police you know what to do you know if you're pulled over and I I'm not sure what age people have that talk but I do remember um seeing the writer Jesmyn Ward a few years ago and she was writing about being on a plane with her son and he was very young like two or something and everyone around her was just like you know playing with him like you know a baby and being like oh he's so cute and she just could not stop thinking like when will these people be afraid of my son you know instead of being like he's so cute and and I wondered gosh is that gonna have to be a talk that Jasmine has with Jabbar as well you know and the show didn't get into all that but I that was something I thought of when she called it the talk Uh, yeah I mean that's very real you know my mom has always said she was terrified for Anthony you know and even me like Sandra Bland was the first time I really feared for my life like I every time a police officer got behind me no matter what I was like like that's a feeling that has just always been ingrained in me but yeah my mom I remember she's had those kind of talks with my brother you know and it was more so like once he got to like middle school age because he's gonna he wanted to be a rapper you know what I mean and he's gonna be judged and he's gonna be with his friends and he's gonna be the one singled out or you know so always be respectful and you know and it's like he should just always be respectful anyway but it shouldn't be because of that you know (laughs) and your life shouldn't depend upon it exactly exactly even if you are disrespectful (laughs) (laughs) right yeah we all have our days you know (laughs) yeah should have spoken more Right. Yeah. I also, when Jasmine had that line about, I know you're not that naive, it also made me think like her saying that sort of implies that she and Crosby have discussed these things before. When in <laughs> fact, we not <laughs> we've never seen them talk about race ever. And oh, I found this yeah. little clip from Dax Shepard's podcast when he had Joy Bryant on. He's actually had her on twice. And I encourage fans of, the show to listen to the episodes because they have a great dynamic and she's awesome 
But this is what they said a little bit about this particular episode. Joy and I were on Parenthood for six years. We're playing uh, an interracial couple. And yet in six years, there was only really a single episode that talked about that. The fact that I was white and you were black. Yeah. And I, I do not fault the show for this. I think it was an attempt to be post-racial, which like eight years ago seemed like what you should do. Like, oh, this should just be normal. This doesn't need to be the topic that they go through all the time, which is fine. Whatever. I, I, again, I'm not critical of it. But what's fascinating is as soon as they'd yell cut, all you and I yeah. talk about is black and white. And, and all, all we talk about is black and white for six years straight. We don't ever tire of yeah. the conversation. Yeah. I, we both find it endlessly fascinating. Yeah. And it is endlessly fascinating yeah. to me because I wouldn't have fucking majored in anthropology if I wasn't fascinated by like cultures and how we're right. different, how we're the same and what's the overlap and all this shit. So we never stopped talking about it. And we're then still talking we're about still, it. And we will die talking we about it. We will die talking about it. I just think it's funny for a show that, you know, we know draws so much from the actors' lives. Like, oh, yeah. Mae Whitman is musical, so Amber's going to start playing the guitar. And, oh, Monica Potter had a breast lump scare, so now we're going to have a story that the actors themselves were engaged in conversation around their whiteness and blackness, and they did not did bring that to the the writers characters. were white i mean they probably could have brought in some black writers but i think (laughs) they they probably didn't know like how to address it as you know as they should have and that's probably not for the best but (laughs) yeah that is interesting it really is yeah and it makes me wonder yeah i think the bad way to look at that is yes they didn't have representation in their (laughs) behind the scenes you know at all and that is that is, I'm sure, why it did not occur to them to do it more than, you know, here's our episode about that. Well, the whole show should be about that, you know. But then I think maybe the more forgiving way of looking at it is that some people are not like Joy Bryant and Dak Shepard talking about race all the time. There are some people who don't, at least as far as I can tell, like my brother is not black, but my brother is brown. He's, um, you know, born in Micronesia. And I've tried to have conversations about our different lived experiences and he does not really want to. And that's not an indictment. Like that's, you know, whatever, everybody's different, but it, it is interesting to me that I think he feels more comfortable. Like let's just (laughs) be brother and sister. Mm -hmm. And, or maybe he thinks that sounds like a lot of labor for him, or maybe he, I'm not really sure what it is. Maybe like, he doesn't want to unpack that, you know, because yeah. I mean, growing up in Pittsburgh, Kansas, especially adopted and, you know, brown and I can ima- can't imagine that it would have all been pleasant, you know, so yeah. maybe he just doesn't want to relive it, you know? Yeah. And I didn't push, you know, for that exact reason, but I, yeah, I, I wonder if maybe in their minds, they were like, well, maybe this isn't what Jasmine and Crosby would talk about all the time. They would, they, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe some interracial couples do, and maybe some don't. I mean, we don't but... discuss it. We don't discuss it to, you know, it's like he, he and I both have an understanding and we, you know, when, when it comes up, it comes up, but we don't right. consistently discuss our race. Like that doesn't seem to be that important to us. But in the grand scheme of things, it is, you know what I mean? And yeah, we understand yeah. the, the enormity of the situation, especially with the kids. But it's kind of one of those things like we'll cross that bridge when we come to it kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and you just saying that made me think, 
well, Dax Shepard and Joy Bryant in real life are not a couple. They are friends. And perhaps that is something you find endlessly entertaining to talk about or fascinating, or that's the word they use, fascinating, to talk about with your friend. But maybe in a relationship, I don't know. Maybe that would yeah, be. No, I mean, you're, in a relationship, you're, you're. I mean, for us, it's we're just trying to live our lives and enjoy <laughs> each other, and you know, yeah. and like I said, if it comes up, it comes up, and there are times when it's like I'm offended by something, and he, and I, I need to explain something, or you know, vice versa. But for the most part, we're just happy. We're happy with each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I did want to play this. At Melissa's request. But my opinion's not being given any weight. And, you know, I think it's because I'm white. Which is, yeah, it's weird. Well, it's, it's hard being a white man in this country. Mm. <laughs> I was just very glad that that, that was Adam's response. <laughs> like, too. a way of... And yeah. Adam, of all people. Like, yeah. That, to was, be the that, enlightened was, that was classic. I was like, oh, what's going to happen here? Took <laughs> the load right off. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was glad that that seemed to me to show at least that the maybe the show was understanding that Crosby sounded ridiculous, you know, and maybe the show's way of pointing that out. Yeah. Well, let's discuss the talk itself. So I want to talk to you about that word you heard at the studio. I know you had some questions. Well, Daddy said black people sometimes say it, but I'm not allowed to. I know it's really confusing, so let's back up. I'm gonna tell you where that word comes from. That word comes from the word nigger. It's a very mean word that white people use to call black people. And it means that we're not as good or as smart or as human as them. Why would people say that? Well, a really, really long time ago, white people owned black people as slaves. And we've come a long, long way. You know how we celebrate Martin Luther King Day? Mm-hmm. Well, he helped to make things equal. And legally they are, but sometimes it doesn't feel like they are. So do you have any questions yet? Can people call me that word? They better not. I might. I remember I was your age when my mom talked to me about all this. And it was really comforting when she said that the world was better than when she was a little girl. And now I'm sitting here with you having the same talk. And it's even better. You know, my mom used to dream about the day when we would have a black president. And now we do. Obama. That's right. We live in pretty good times though and i don't want you to worry or feel scared about any of this i'm still not here crosby is there anything you'd like to add no that that was perfect so what did you think of jasmine's talk i thought that it was pretty perfect it was very age appropriate it i'm like tearing up right now because it reminds me of how my mom spoke to me about it just gentle enough but also like addressing it <laughs> and it, it's just so confusing for a child like like he is every child when you're having that conversation it's like but it's just a why <laughs> you know like, yeah. just why 
and why is it still a thing? And, you know, but she did a really good job. Yeah. I really thought the way each parent answered, you know, will, will people call me that was very telling and interesting the way that, you know, Crosby was like, they'd better not which is sweet in its own way, but also naive, you know, and, and not fully giving the right answer. And Jasmine's just not sugarcoating it and saying they might. And I thought that feels like an important distinction and it feels like what each parent would focus on. Yeah. I thought, especially in this climate now, when we're trying to be more honest, at first I thought, well, that was awfully rosy. You know, she kept saying, oh, a long, long time ago, this happened and we've mm-hmm. come a really, really long way, which I don't even deny. But I had to remind myself she's talking to a child yeah. and this is the first time. And so, Erica, what you said about you thought it was age appropriate. I, I thought, yes, this is not a an adult's discussion on race. This is the first discussion to a child. And she even says, I don't want you to be scared or worried. And I thought that made a lot of sense to me, actually. Yeah, for me too, because I was like a long, long time ago, and da, 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 the world's gone. <laughs> but then I literally had to just put myself in a child's mind. And you don't want to strike fear in the hearts of children. Yeah. Just addressing the issue and getting them started on it. Yeah. Yeah. One little iffy thing for me that I picked up on in this scene, that scene and the storyline are basically through Crosby's perspective. And so so it's like even the one storyline the show does about race is viewed from the white guy's perspective. But I thought, well, he is the character that's really changing throughout the Mm. course of the story. So maybe that's why. I mean, also, again, white writer and white director. Maybe that was how they felt an in to that experience. And I also thought, you know, in reality, the show's audience is probably predominantly white too. So maybe the show is using Crosby as a lens for those viewers to put themselves in that situation. Another blog I came across was from the writer Deneen Milner, and she wrote really eloquently about this episode, and she picked up on that too. And she didn't indict the episode over it. I think she still overall thought the episode was a good, honest attempt at that conversation. But she did say, oh, so yeah, we get it all from Crosby's point of view. We don't get to learn how old was Jasmine when Mm. she first heard that word or was called that word. What was her experience like? What's it like for her to be married to the white guy that she has to handle with kid gloves while explaining this? Yeah, that is is true. And I think that you have made a valid point when you said that he is the character that's changing. And it's, it's more so, I guess, about him evolving his mindset. But yeah, it would have been really cool to interject some of her life into that, uh, some of her perspective. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's yeah. a good point. I even thought we know her mom. Her mom has been a character on the show before. And she says, I was your age when my mom talked to me about this. And I really liked that sense of this is something we share and we pass down. And I thought maybe I even would have liked to have seen Renee be mm. a part of this, or maybe if not a part of the talk itself, maybe Jasmine telling her mom, mm. I'm about to have the talk, or I just had the talk with Jabbar. Right. And what does that mean for Jasmine and her mom? 
I also that reminds me. I wanted to say earlier. I actually really like in that scene when Crosby was all butt hurt about being <laughs> left out, and he said, "I want to be there." I actually think that was not just fair of him, but good. I think he should have been there, and I liked that that he was with her, but let her lead the discussion to show like this is not just yo you and your mom go deal with this, and then I'll um, I'll right. be with you when you're done. Right. I'm here with you in whatever ways I can be. And we because are all united. I have as much to learn as Jabbar does. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, different lessons. Yeah, right. I really like the fact that he, when she said, do you have anything to say? And he said, no. Yeah, that was <laughs> appropriate. Like, I would have, I, I don't know what he could have said that would have added to the, you know, besides just, we love you. But other than that, like, <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> and again, how gracious of her to even open it up to him. Yeah, like, <laughs> right. You handle it, Jasmine. You're doing good. <laughs> I think it was gracious, but I sort of like to think it was also a little bit of a. You've been you've been giving me a hard time, and now that you see what I have just done, you have anything to add? You know, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if she knew he would be like, yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> That's yeah. true, and it kind of also drives home the point. You know, when he says he doesn't want to shatter his innocence. Well, of course she doesn't want to either. She's just being practical. Like, yeah, I wish we could shield him from this forever too, but that's not going to happen. I think that that can be a very, something in in children, it's it's such an issue with kids in general, shattering their innocence. And like, there's there's a fine line between acknowledging that something is a thing and like, just shielding you completely and then you grow up and you either are unaware or it shocks you and there's like there's this middle ground with kids that has to be age appropriate but you also don't want them to just be completely sheltered and then you know yeah it's just it's a it's a it's a hard balance to try to figure out what you should shield them from and race when you're black is something you cannot be shielded from you have got to address it (laughs) Yeah. And she has to deal with shattering her husband's innocence too, in a way. I mean, he's so, he's so, this won't be a problem, right? Well, Crosby. Uh, I liked that line earlier too when she said, I know you're not that naive. But I actually think she does think he's naive. And that was her way of saying it, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like she could have said, Oh, you're so naive. And maybe just, again, we talked about like having to choose your words so carefully. Maybe she knew he would not take that well. So instead I have to compliment, I have to disguise my tree. Yeah. Couch it as like, Oh, I know you're not that naive, but really I'm calling you naive. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. uh, Yeah. Little way roundabout. Make them be like, Hmm, am I? Yeah, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, even after he like learns, you know, and I think he does, I shouldn't have used air quotes. That was unfair. But even when he learns, he has that line that drove me crazy when he was like, I felt a little irrelevant. I'm like, oh, God, like that's exhausting. You're exhausting. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm like, it is exhausting. It's like you're yeah. not irrelevant. That's so dramatic. You're not irrelevant. You just don't have it experience to explain it you're fully relevant be here with us you know right well let's dive into that last scene you were really amazing you were right to handle it thanks i think he understood most of it well he totally understood it i mean even i understood it in a way i never really had 
I was watching you too, like the connection felt a little irrelevant. No, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you feel like no, no, that. No, 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 you, you didn't do anything. I just, you know, I hate thinking that there's things he's gonna experience that I just, I, I can't relate. You're right, I can't, you know. Yeah, but there's gonna be other times when you can relate and I can. He's a boy, so he's gonna go through all sorts of things that I won't understand, nor do I want to. Yeah, I think it's different, though. Has that ever happened to you? You know, where you were made to feel less than? Yeah, a few times. I'm sorry. show and they had to kind of like have that story or whatever but that's the kind of thing that like I feel like my partner would know that that's the answer to that is just yes <laughs> you know yeah. like has yeah. that ever happened to you yeah they're racist people <laughs> on the planet and I live on it so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah I mean it everyone has some sort of a story I don't I would assume but yeah I'm, I'm just glad that he came around and yeah her whole He's a boy. <laughs> that I can relate to that one. Like, wow, I don't want to know. Just y'all, y'all do your do your little birds and bees, whatever. I don't know. I'll be over here. But. <laughs> uh, that is such a good point, though. I. The, the way that Caleb earlier was questioning, like, would he never have heard that word by this point? I was kind of questioning, would they have never have talked about that before? Yeah. Because what is love if not talking about your life and the things you've experienced. And I just feel like what kind of relationship would you not already right. know these stories about the other person, you know, and maybe there would be a story that he didn't already know. And maybe she would share that, you know, but like, just to say, has that ever happened to you? I'm right. like, how well do you know your wife Crosby? Right. You know, like, <laughs> so anyway, right. it just opened up a can of worms. I don't think the show meant to open for me yeah that was yeah. very odd to me that he had to ask her that but yeah, yeah. Was, uh... and i i was also intrigued <laughs> by her saying yeah a few times and i wondered is she is she setting the bar somewhere of like what rises to the level of of mm. her really feeling less than and that is a few times because like i would mentioning microaggressions yeah because i like would that. think like, if you were that would be saying that it's like it's and, you know, everyone's experience is different. I'm not going to pretend I know what this fictional character has been through. But I thought a few times, I would guess. Yeah, there are there's so many. And yeah, I don't think she was probably then she didn't write the story. So, <laughs> right. uh, but but I don't think like a lot of times people don't take into account the little microaggressions and things like that. And I mean, there are oh, countless of those. But like to really have somebody treat you like less than a human I think is different than a microaggression to a certain extent you know yeah so people would say stupid shit to me all the time growing up oh my god it's <laughs> just ridiculous <laughs> but like did I feel like less than you know because of that not necessarily yeah That's good. and I think it could also be just her 
the final instance in this episode of her sugarcoating, you know, still shielding Mm -hmm. her husband from like, you've made a big step and this was hard for you, Crosby. Let's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. From time to time, I have been made to feel that way. Or the, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you feel like that. I know. She's just as, she's a saint in this episode. Yeah. And I get it to a certain extent. What I would have said is, I'm sorry that you felt that way. Not, I didn't mean to make you feel that way because I didn't do anything. Right, right. But yeah, there is a certain amount of coddling that goes along with um, being a Black woman, especially, I think, where you have to be heard. And the only way to be heard is to stay calm and guide somebody through a conversation or discussion or an argument. And it's something I I don't think I always realized, you know. Until, you know, these topics have been coming up in in normal life now. And I think it's really, really awesome. But it also is like, fuck, I've had to do this my life. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it hit kind of hard in this episode, I thought, that aspect of it. Because I feel like we usually don't see Jasmine coddling Crosby. She's usually pretty frank with him. Yeah. And in this episode, it, it felt like a definite change like oh she is changing her tactic and it yeah now that we're discussing it it seems like that was not an accident i think she realized okay okay i gotta be real careful with him or he's gonna flip out and it is a shame that on top of her having to have this talk with her son she also has to bear the weight of that mm-hmm. yeah i thought that last shot though of Crosby just watching Jabbar sleep and you know looking like such an innocent angel. I thought that was really powerful. I I don't have kids as as we say all the time, but <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I would I would think. I mean, even with my nieces and nephews, the idea of like even other kids picking on them at school that rips my heart out. And I I would just think that one of your greatest fears is people hurting your children. Of course, physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And and just watching Crosby realize that because of Jabbar's skin color, there's another realm of hurt that he's open to was just crushing. And yeah. in that way, maybe I can understand a little what he meant by he felt irrelevant, not because of anything Jasmine said, but maybe just him like realizing Mm-hmm. how hurtful this world can be and will be likely to his son. And he will not be able to protect him from much of it at all, if any of it. And that could probably make a person feel irrelevant, yeah. you know? And and so maybe that's what he meant, which if that's what he meant, I like that more than, you know. Even for me, like, I mean, I, I was thinking about that the other day, just, yeah, just kids and people, anyone in general hurting my son. Because well, it came up because I went, I met a, a friend at the gym, and she has a kid that's exactly the same age as Luca. So we went over to their house, and they've been hanging out. But this little boy is kind of like an alpha baby, so he like, and Luca is just a sweet little. He doesn't, you know, and he comes over and steals his car, and then his mom says, "Get it back to him," and he like kind of conks him on the head with it. And I was like, oh, like he's just such a sweet, innocent. Yeah, you see this sweet, innocent thing, and knowing that they're gonna go to school and kids aren't always nice and even like the pop like even like when you're a popular kid or something girls are mean to each other you know boys are people are just 
kids are just assholes and you just don't want to yeah. ever have your kid have to feel that, you know? And I mean, yeah. it's just inevitable. Another strange kind of dynamic of this is Luca has straight light hair, light skin. He has my face, but like, it's going to be interesting to kind of work around that dynamic because he's yeah. going to probably have to explain to people that he's black, you know? Yeah. yeah. And he may hear, I know people that don't look biracial or mixed or anything and they hear horrible things said by other people not knowing that their parent is black and they're like oh like things that nobody would ever say around me or to me I've heard had other people say oh my god you wouldn't believe what this person said wow. not knowing that I was black you know Oof. so there's like a whole nother can of worms that I might have to deal with that's you know? totally so, true yeah it's a lot and I for a long time I didn't want kids at all like for many reasons but that was one of them it's so painful and hard and all these things to have to watch your kid experience these things or have to explain things to them that are hurtful and but it's also that's part of being a parent and then I did obviously change my mind so (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy about it but part of making the world better is good parents you know like you raising their kids and raising them well and combating some of the bad people having kids yeah. and teaching their yeah. kids shit. Oh, and, yeah. There's some bad ones out there. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, just, I'm just going to try to not do that. You know? Yeah. Well, thank you again for, you know, being willing to talk about this with us and, and, you know, I, it, it's such a intense thing and it's, it stirs up a lot of, experiences and emotions and feelings and and so it's really kind of you to be willing to you know do that for our yeah <laughs> podcast which yeah. could seem like uh, I'm not going to go through all that just for some tv rewatch no, podcast sometimes no, it really is like a, I mean it's it's not always easy to talk about things like this but I also feel like if I had the opportunity which is rare thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak on it because I think people if you have a voice and you have something to say, then it's nice to be able to say it and be heard. So. Yeah. All right. Shall we go on to another storyline? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, the show is called Parenthood, and it turns out that Hank is a parent too. Whoa. He's got a daughter. <laughs> The yeah. onion layers of Hank just keep getting pulled back. And Melissa, how do you feel about the continued humanization uh, of Hank? They're just totally setting up Sarah and Hank. You can see it a mile away. <laughs> and I've, I've been very angry about it because he's just like kind of gruff. And he said some really misogynistic things that I do not love. And I'm like, Ugh, we're supposed to be like, oh, look, he's got a soul underneath all those hateful comments. And... <laughs> we're just supposed to fall in love with them. And I'm like, I'm not falling for it, parenthood. And I still feel that way, even though I have to admit he was pretty damn likable in this episode. And I did, I did feel for him and it works. I mean, again, I really like Ray Romano. I just don't know that I like his character. So there, there are my thoughts on all that. Yeah. I just first want to say that I was totally team PETA when I read Me too. The, the Hunger Games. <laughs> did you read The Hunger Games, Eric? <laughs> I actually didn't. I didn't even see the movies. So, I, yeah. In the movies, I felt like Gale was cuter than PETA. And well, so he is. He's Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> team PETA allegiance <laughs> kind of shifted in the film. So I was like, well, maybe, you know, if it were me, I'd go team Gale. 
You're like, I'm going to be on his team. <laughs> I'm going to be on his team. But in the books, Pete is this like, he's the son of a baker and he lifts all the heavy sacks of flour and then he like holds her in bed, <laughs> but nothing happens. He's just comforting her. And I'm like, who is this dream? Yes, but, totally. Well, yeah. and I would like to point out that when, you know, Ruby basically says at age 11, you know, like Hunger Games is out. I wanted to be like, okay, in 2012, I can tell you for a fact that my AP Lit students who were 16, like 17 years old, they were obsessed with Hunger Games. And we had like play-by-plays of like, okay, this person just got cast in the movie. Yes, this person just got cast. I was like, nobody... Nobody at age 11 in 2012 was over the Hunger Games. That was its peak. She's just ahead um, of her time. Maybe so. She was just so cool. I don't know. Whatever, Ruby. She was a brat. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think kids and having like a 10 year old in the house, it's like they just are too cool for anything that you want to be involved in. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, and I'm like, I, I don't feel like I was like that quite yet at that age, but like. <laughs> You just cannot be bothered, you know? It's like, okay. You bring up a good point. Do you think that maybe the second her dad showed an interest in the Hunger Game, that's when she's like, you know what? I'm over it. It's, it's done. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Possibly. I have a random question. Yeah. Does Hank live above his shop? He's just always there. Well, like we see him and Ruby in some oh. scene coming down a staircase. I'm yeah. like, do you live up there? I think he does. I don't that's know. sad. I don't know why I think that's sad, but like, maybe it's a really cool. It might be like, super convenient. Loft. Yeah, like, yeah. hey, I got this shop downtown. I live right upstairs. It's easy commute to work, but it's like he's a single a man hermit? who doesn't I, live with his daughter. He only sees her once a month. What does he need a whole house for? Yeah. yeah. Well, Ruby coming to town gives Sarah a chance to wield some of her mom skills. Not totally rusty yet. Anything exciting going on? Aubrey Peterson is like the most popular girl in school. Mm. And she's hosting a co-ed pool party. Ah. Never exactly been invited to one of her parties before. And it's today, so ah. I can't make it. Oh, man. Yep. Yeah. And my friends, they all keep texting me about it, and it's completely epic, and it just sucks not being there. God. So. Yeah. You know what I think? You think I'm being shallow? Oh my God, no. It's an epic co-ed pool party. I, to I understand. I bet it's really hard when you have to transition up here, drop everything in LA once a month. It's gotta be tough. And your dad thinks about it too, you know? He knows and that's why he tries to plan these big, exciting weekends or what he thinks is exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's like my friends, they text me about it and they ask what I'm up to. And it's like, when am I supposed to text back that I'm at the aquarium playing with sea otters? No. No. Mm -mm. Tell them you're at a photo shoot, okay? <laughs> you're at a photo shoot with Justin Bieber. <laughs> <gasps> Wait, seriously? <sighs> That's awesome, thanks. Okay, but they're gonna want like pictures and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna want better pictures than he was like concocting <laughs> Photoshop. Yeah. There's no way they're gonna believe that. That's so Dude, stupid. my friends at, at this age would be like, You're playing with otters? <laughs> <laughs> You're totally right. I love that. My friends now would be like, You're playing right. with otters. I love oh. otters. They're so cute. They anyway. are. Yeah. What, I, the, what I did love about that interaction though was especially when 
Sarah said, you know what I think? And Ruby thought she was going to say it's shallow. I loved that Sarah actually like validated how mm. important it was to Ruby. On one hand, just because that's smart parenting, that you're going to get her on your side. But also, this kid is 11. It is important to her. Yes, yeah. in the grand scheme of things, it is pretty shallow. But when you're 11, you don't have that kind of perspective. No. You just think everyone's there and I'm here. My life sucks. And it's nice to have someone there going, it's okay that that's important to you. And it also makes me think that maybe Hank tells her that's shallow. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's she she leaps right to it. You know what I think? Yeah, I bet you think it's shallow. Because that's probably what I've been hearing from my dad the whole time I've been here. You know, I have a distinct memory of being 11. And I was at my grandmother's house for like a holiday or something. And I'm the youngest by a lot of all the cousins. My, my next oldest one on my dad's side is eight years older. And then the one with the biggest age difference is 15 years older. So I remember they asked me how school was and I had just started middle school that year. And so I said, it's okay. It's a lot of work and I'm really overwhelmed. And they all laughed at me because <laughs> they were all like, <laughs> you know, sixth grade homework. How hard can that be? And I remember being really hurt. And even now looking back, I'm 40 and I'm like, you know what? That was my experience and they belittled it and that's not okay. Yeah. Obviously, sixth grade homework would not be hard for me now, but it was when I was 11. <laughs> so, yeah. so anyway, but yes, I think you're totally right. That was that was a good call. I actually loved that scene a lot. I don't know that I loved the whole storyline necessarily, but I think Sarah and, you know, also Lauren Graham, really good with kids. You know, I'm just yeah. like that. You're like talking to her like a person. You're being funny, which always invites them in. That always helps with like, you know, relationship building. And I just really bought that Ruby would put down her phone at least somewhat to talk to her. Like I, and, and I think you play that differently. I don't really buy it. Uh, but she was really doing a great job, even starting by being like, I don't know where to put yeah, these lights. I, I loved <laughs> her know? intentionally, <laughs> accidentally <laughs> knocking stuff over. Oops. Can you help me? I'm lost. That was so cute. Yeah. And smart. Yeah. No. I've got I've got one more thing to say about that story. Go ahead. The way that it ends with Hank, you know, she finds that picture and oh, he used to travel the world to take photos. And then her comment to him is that, you know, her ex said he would stop touring when the kids were born and he didn't. And I got that we were supposed to think, wow, what a great person Hank is because he gave it all up. And I thought a few things. I was like, well, I guess on one level, yes. But on another level... I don't know. I don't think people should have to give up their dreams when they become parents. I think that's kind of, you know, an unfair way to think. And I also think Hank is like sort of a miserable, grumpy person. And so it's not like he's super well adjusted and and gave it all up. Maybe he's bitter and resentful that he gave it all up. <laughs> and I don't know that we should be looking to him as an example of like, yeah, this I, is how you live your life, you know? I think to um, a certain yeah. extent, like you have to, I mean, for me, like, I definitely can't live my life exactly how I used to. I can't just be like, oh, I want to go on a trip to Spain. But yeah. do I still want to travel? And do I still want to like do those things? Yes, you can find a way to work it in. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, but totally. I think that just, I mean, he seemed really, like he did seem bitter about it. And yeah. there's a fine line. I think her ex going on tour or whatever he did might've been a little much, but there's a, there's a balance to it. You know? 
I thought that too. There must be something in the middle. Like, does he have to photograph sea otters now? Is it really like that extreme or the other? <laughs> like there's no middle ground. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway. And you know, Melissa, I didn't even gather that we were supposed to read anything into that about Hank. I didn't. I just said, okay, you used to take more serious photos. But you're so right. Why else would they have put that in if you weren't supposed to take something away from it? And probably yeah. you're supposed to take away, oh, he's a really thoughtful parent. Yeah. Or I, what I maybe took away was that, like, he doesn't want to go anywhere dangerous mm. now that there's, like, someone depending on him. But I'm like, but she doesn't. She doesn't even live with you. So what's yeah. your excuse now? Now what, Hank? Yeah. But you're right. They are just <laughs> trying to be like... <laughs> I also thought the the whole point of the storyline was just another thing he has in common with her. Mark doesn't yeah. have kids, but Hank does. He's divorced. He's a parent. His life's a mess. Check, check, check. <laughs> That's who she's drawn to. Not the super healthy fiance she has. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not buying it. Well, let's hop over to Victor Yeah, and his choice of activities. I respect it. The parents are like, you're either doing a sport or music. I was like, that seems fair. Yeah. You can't just play video games all day. Mm-hmm. I play baseball. I mean, obviously, yes, I was in piano lessons and stuff too, but I used to think that I was good at baseball, but I never had a specific position that was mine. I kept kind of getting moved all over, which in, res- in retrospect, I feel like is probably a sign that I wasn't all that great. Maybe you were a utility player, you know? They could just count yeah. on you to do anything. Or maybe, maybe they're like, maybe he'll do less damage over here. Well, let's try here. <laughs> <laughs> I actually played softball as an adult, like when Mark and I first started dating. And I don't know what my problem was. I was so out of shape that I literally, every time I managed to get a hit and had to run to first base, I got intense leg cramps. I'm like, this can't be good. I'm running 90 <laughs> <IG> feet. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, I would have chosen the instrument. I would have been like, okay, violin. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> You paid your dues in dance. That's yeah, that's true. I did. I did. Yeah, oh, weird. Erica, you were also in dance, right? Mm-hmm. Except you were, did you like dance? I hated it, but did you like it? I absolutely loved it. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, I loved it. I only did it up until like high school and then I started playing sports because it's a long story, but I also was very not good at sports. They thought I would be, and so they would like put me on like a JV and stuff. <laughs> They're like, she's tall, she's black, she's got muscles, let's do this. And then I'd get out there and fucking suck. I sat on the bench. I sat on the bench most of the time. I'm pretty good at track, but anyway, that's the bad point. Well, when Victor was at bat and like just swinging and missing over and over again, I questioned why the music was getting so intense. It was very dramatic. And the expression on Joel's face was getting so grave. And I was like, what is happening? Then when Victor threw the bat, I was legit startled. It's like, oh, that's what they were building too. Real, yeah. But up until then, it's like, what does he think is going to happen? He's just not hitting the ball. I wondered why it's they not... just kept throwing the ball at the exact same way. Like, why not say, stop throwing the ball for a second. Let me walk over to Victor. And they just kept saying, choke up. But I'm like, if that's your first time ever holding a bat, does he know what that means? Like, yeah, to choke maybe, up. Maybe they give him a little one-on-one with, like, attention. Totally. He's just swinging a bat. Like, he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> I would have thrown it, too. I would have been so... I hate sucking at stuff. And if I tried that, like, ten times in a row, I'd be like, all right, forget it. Uh, yeah. Screw this and screw you. I probably would not have said that. 
<laughs> but yeah. Although it occurs, it's like the only use of safe profanity that I'll give someone a pass on. You know, like characters keep saying, damn crap, hell. I'm like, well, Victor can say screw you because he's 10. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. We keep calling out the show for like, like saying mother freaking and stuff. It's like, just don't oh, use the word at all. That yeah, sounds like so stupid. No one talks about that. You can't like say that. it. Mother don't freak. say it. <laughs> But yeah, like I don't think Victor would be like, fuck this and fuck you. He would say screw. He's 10. Yeah, that would be I an agree. intense show. <laughs> fuck this and fuck you. Fuck you. That's, that's on HBO. I would really like him even more, though. Oh my God. I got to say the ending that scene with you're not my real dad. Ooh, intense. That felt like a line from a very special episode of a sitcom to me. Which is not to say it didn't feel authentic in this moment. It, it felt just, authentic to me. Yeah. Okay. It just, to me, it just seemed like the exact moment of shit you'd be waiting for in a story with a kid who was adopted. It's like, is this mm. from a California dream script? You're not my oh real my dad. Oh my God. <laughs> California dream. California wow. Dreams. You took it there. Okay. I did. <laughs> Caleb, did, didn't you once play a clip from California Dreams? Because there was a scene. Podcast. That's why I mentioned it here. Because yeah. there was a scene. I forget which one it was now, but there was a scene that was oddly similar to a scene from Parenthood. Oh, like, that's right. And I was like, let's now. just contrast what a difference the, remembered, the, the actor yeah. and the quality of the writing makes. I know. I don't remember anything specific from that show. I love that you brought that I up. I just remember the song. Don't wake me up. Don't wake me up. I'm dreaming. I watch that every Saturday morning Um, yeah but no I think that you're right that is kind of a typical TV moment isn't it yeah but I think maybe that is something a kid would yell if he was uncomfortable Uh, and being forced to do something yeah that's maybe the thing most of all he knew that would hurt I gotta say I was super impressed with Joel in this last scene. His parenting is amazing, I thought. Yeah. I was incredibly proud of you. No, you weren't. I struck out and I threw a bat. Well, I didn't love the throwing the bat part or the yelling at the coach part, but right up until then, you went out there and you tried something you'd never done before with a bunch of kids you never met. That's brave. That's so incredibly brave. Are you scared? I'd have been. You know, buddy, I get so excited about you being a part of this family that I just, I forget, you know, that everything is so new. And I guess I forgot what it was like to be the new kid. I'm still figuring this out. How to be your dad. But I love baseball, and I, from what I can tell, I think he'd really like it too. I'm not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. I'm not going to force you to go back. But if you take some time, you decide it's something you'd like to do, then you just come tell me because I'd like to help you with it. Okay? Okay. Wow. Yeah, we don't... We don't have kids. So the parent is in the room. What did you think of that? Did you think that was a realistic like talk and response on Victor's part? I think that it was realistic for somebody who is a good parent. 
some parents might not be that nice or understanding, but I think that was pretty realistic. I mean, it, you have to really take into account like what they're feeling and how they felt about it and why they acted out like that. Because of course he was embarrassed and he was frustrated and, you know, so I think that was pretty realistic. And I also appreciate that he's like, I'm not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do, but yeah. I am going to force you to not play video games all day. That's, that's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Something, anything, but you know, yeah, I thought that was pretty, pretty good. You know, realistic. Quick side note. When you said that, I remember back at my old school, when I taught at Pittsburgh high school, we had a unit for juniors where they were supposed to write resumes and they went on like a, like a job shadow situation. And then they had a mock interview. It was like a really good unit, I think, preparing them for the real world. But I remember I had a really hard time with one student. He was like, I don't know what to put on this resume. And I was like, well, that's okay. You know, most 16 year olds don't have extensive resumes. You know, if you've never had a job, think about activities you've done, you know, like, have you played sports or been in the band or ever been in a play? And he's like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, have you ever babysat? Have you ever, you know, delivered newspapers? He's like, no. And I was like, okay, take me through your day. Um, what, you know, you go to, you get up, you go to school, then what? And he's like, I go home. I play video games. I go to bed. And I was like, I don't know what you're going to write on this resume, you know? <laughs> and I just thought, yeah, I think they are right to note that you can't, you know, video games are meant, I think, to be like a relaxing thing in moderation and not yeah. the bulk of it's your day. It's a major thing right now with kids, like, especially I think after the pandemic, Yeah. like, I just love video games and um, that's kind of what he loves but he's also now an anime club so he's like learning how like, yeah. to animate and stuff like that you know what I mean like take, take something that's a passion and like that they love to do but like find something where, where it can be creative and like you're yeah. learning skills or you're not just you know so I, I think <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing and you really gotta get these kids out of the video game for at least a little bit you know yeah. and he does voice scouts and stuff too so like oh good something so yeah i could really relate to that yeah well and what you said about figuring out why they behave a certain way that was exactly what impressed me so much because i think i would have been focused on victor's behavior i think i would have been you do not throw a bat you do not yell at other people absolutely not you're going to be punished instead of digging a little deeper and going why did he do that and that was impressive to me. That's what I try to do as a teacher. I'm not saying I'm always successful, but like it, it's really good to like realize that they're usually not doing a behavior to piss you off. It's not about you. You know, it's it's about them and what they're going through. And, you know, it's it's kind of a weird cycle. Like the the kids who are like naturally well behaved are probably really well behaved because they've had parental support and they've had pretty, you know, loving experiences to be upset about necessarily like I when I was in high school I had a lot going on at home we didn't have money like the other kids and it was there was a lot going on and I also was undiagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder so I'm just like it, it baffles me how my teachers reacted to my behavior I was a kid you know and it's like yeah. instead of being like what is what's wrong like what's going on with you is something is there anything we can do to like it was just like, Erica, stop talking to, you know what I mean? And it's like, right. I look back at that and I'm like, how could they just like not seem that there's a hurting person in, in there? You know? Yeah. They're not just being jerks. Like there's 
probably something underlying there. Yeah. 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 I think it can be so easy. That has been one of my biggest struggles is like learning to not take things personally that are not personal because it can feel really personal. You know, like probably to that coach on that field, it felt personal when Victor said, screw this and screw you. It was directed <laughs> at him after all. But, you know, I think it's good to, to yeah, dig deeper and be like, okay, this kid doesn't actually have anything against me. I'm just here. I, I just happen to be here. I'm getting the brunt of it. This is something, you know, going on with him. So, and I mean, gosh, with Victor, you know, he is just probably it's been probably about this point, like seven, eight months that he's been living with this family and who knows all the trauma that led him to be in a new place, you know, a placement at 10 years old. And that's just gotta be all kinds of things that most people could not relate to or understand. And so, yeah, I think it's really beautiful the way that Joel approached that. I, I just keep thinking, man, Joel is holding up so well on this rewatch, you know, like, like, just still yeah yeah adam, like, adam sure adam ain't. not but, so much <laughs> yeah we'll talk about that but like look at joel joel is just being like very sensitive and caring and maybe giving a different um look at what masculinity can look like you know he's like a masculine dude and he's into sports and he's but he can be really sensitive and you know understanding to his son and i love it that's good we yeah. need more of that well, you know what we've got in this episode? Friday Night Fight <laughs> This is the first episode featuring Ryan York, who's played by Matt Loria, who played Luke Cafferty on the last two seasons of Friday Night Lights. He was also on the show Kingdom with Bob Little himself, Jonathan oh, wow. Tucker. Look at that connection. Crossover all over the place. But I really, really loved the storyline of Zeke going to the VA yeah. and befriending other veterans. I think it has dramatic weight and I think it's something that Zeke would be very good at. Yeah. And you know, he, he does have a big heart for all of his flaws <laughs> Yeah, and he would understand what a lot of other vets would be going through and it would give him purpose and it would be doing good in the world. I'm just like, win, 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 win. This is all good. Yes, I loved it too. I think my one question was, I was wondering, did Camille want him out of the house? Like they kept kind of joking. He was driving her crazy with things like, listen to that, hear the sprinklers. <laughs> or was she primarily motivated by him needing more purpose and stuff. You know what I mean? I was just curious if she wanted her husband out of the house, go to the VA, or if she mostly just wanted him. I think it's to probably go. both. <laughs> I think she, she was like, she did want get out of here. I'm going to find you something that would be good for you. And that was what she chose. It's a really good idea. I mean, we've known all along that he's um, a Vietnam veteran, but they, you know, it's, it's mostly just been used for like, he tells stories and he talks about it, but we've never really dealt with it. So I think that's a great idea for a storyline yeah. to, you know, kind of delve into that. And and we know that Camille does like volunteer work in the community and things. I, it seems to me like totally something she would think of. Yeah. That he should natural. spend his time doing. Yeah. And I liked, um, you know, to be honest with you, I actually thought that Matt Loria's character on Friday Night Lights was pretty boring and inconsequential and I wasn't really a fan. I thought he was fine, but already just one episode in, I'm like, oh, I like this much better. Like he feels 
much weightier to me. And um, yeah, I don't know. I thought he was really believable as a as a veteran too. Like something about yeah. his like delivery felt very like deliberate and um, like he was processing and he was like maybe being careful with his words. I, I don't know. There was something about him that felt a little shaken up or something, uh, but strong still. I don't know. <laughs> Am I like totally reaching or did, did that? No, I agree. I like them becoming friends. I thought that was really nice. I also, I remember Caleb, you've said before you're a real sucker for like intergenerational stuff. You like it when older characters and younger characters. That's are kind true. Of you know, I didn't friends. even think of it, but you you are right. And I really loved their scene at the end. Yeah. Like when he went out to look at the sprinklers I, mean, I don't know what's happening at the VA, but they should be standing in line to hire you. Yeah, well, maybe it's for the best. I mean, being back's been kind of weird. Well, it takes a while to feel normal again. How long? How long? Heck, I don't know. I don't remember exactly. I just feel like I could handle it better if I knew it wasn't going to be forever. Well, I know that uh, when I went to Vietnam, I was a kid. And when I got back, I didn't know who the hell I was. I sure as hell wasn't normal, if you know what I mean. That's what's scaring the hell out of me. But you give it time, and you become something different, something new. You know? I think maybe it started for me when I got back. You know, at the airport, there was all these protesters and signs. A lot of hate. I never forgot that. So. You guys came back, and it's different. People are proud of you. I don't know about that. I mean, at least people saw you. At least people acknowledged that you were a part of this thing, this this life-altering thing. And for us, I just feel like sometimes we're invisible. You're not invisible to me. I was really impressed to see these two sort of stereotypes of masculinity have really quite an emotionally vulnerable conversation in a way that I felt like was believable. Like it felt very true to me that they needed to have a task to work on together, like externally. Well, no, we're over here to fix the sprinklers. That's what we're doing. And <laughs> we're not that, just talking about our feelings. Yeah, we're not just talking about our feelings. <laughs> yeah. But that facilitated them opening up to one another. And then, and Zeke just has a depth to him and a sense of care that I think could be really healing to the right person. I mean, like him saying, you're not invisible to me was so powerful. And I, I don't know. I just, I love the whole story development. I'm like, I'm eager to see more of this. Yeah. This didn't feel like a full storyline yet, but it felt like laying the groundwork for something more yeah. later. And I loved it. It was good. I like, I like that. Well, let's continue on to the last storyline with Christina and Max. I really appreciated Dr. Bedslow's bluntness when he told Christina to put herself first. He was sort of saying in the grand scheme of things, it actually is putting her family first to take care of herself in this instance. I was like, she needs to hear that. And that's a good message. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, you're on a plane, you're supposed to put your own mask on first before you can yeah. attend to others. And it's like, yeah, what good is it to go to Max's like speech if in a year you're not here? Because, you know, right. and, and I know that's maybe dramatic because he did say like, well, maybe three weeks isn't that big of a deal. But 
You know, I often disagree with Adam when he sort of inserts his opinion instead of asking like Christina what she wants. But I, I have to admit, I totally agreed with him when he was like, I want this thing out of you. <laughs> you know, I, I felt the same way. I was like, let's get this thing out of you. I, I, I don't know. I, um, I, I really wanted her to put herself first. I felt like that was really important. I gave short shrift to the Max storyline last episode. Yeah. And I want to just kind of walk it back a little bit for two reasons. First of all, I feel like my lack of interest actually puts me in exactly the same conflict as the other characters in his storyline. What are Adam or Christina supposed to do when their son cares so passionately about something that they couldn't give less of a shit about? Yeah. That Okay, I'm there with you. That would be hard because they can't say that to him. Like, I mean, they do kind of sometimes like Max, no one cares, but that's not good parenting. You have to be supportive. And secondly, I did like that it spurred Max to run for student council president. That's like, cool. well, that's that's a good development. And already in this first scene in this episode, I feel like parenthood was finding an unexpected angle that I found moving. What do you need? Pens, I, I need papers, pens, and I need poster, poster board for board. my campaign for president. Also, you need to get those 25 signatures for that petition. I got them. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to. I got them. You got all 25 Yeah, signatures. I got all 25, but I had to ask 29 people because four said no. You walked up to 29 people yes, and asked Yes, I did. I, I walked up to them and I, I, I stuck my hand out and I said, hi, I'm Max Braverman and I need your signature to run for student council president. And then I looked them in the eye and I smiled. I am so I, incredibly I like, proud I didn't of you. Like that part. I'm sure you didn't, Max. High five. That is amazing. That's not where I thought this was going, but it makes perfect sense. And that is interesting. I am invested in that. It is. And you know I love any kind of what's the right thing to do debate. So mean. I can't believe how many middle if school kids If they knew how be. hard it was for him to walk up to them and ask them to sign the petition, they're just, they're mean kids, but this can be fixed. We have to ask Max not to run for president. That's honey, what we have to do. no, I can handle this. I can't let okay? him do this, honey. Kids are mean. Student we- council is for the popular kids, and he doesn't get that, and we are setting him up for failure. Adam, he walked up to each and every one of those kids and asked them to sign the petition, Okay. That was a huge effort on his part. He should not be punished for that. I get it. I'm trying to protect him, honey. This is going to end badly, okay? And I think that he could regress, and everything that we've worked for could just disappear. I don't want you to have to do with I'm this fine. right now. So what are you saying? We shouldn't let him run? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that we have to tell him that he can't run He's going to completely freak out. He's going to freak out. Yeah, he's going to freak out. And he'll get over it. That's life. I was with Christina on it because she, I mean... I was more on her side with it because it's like, you just, you want, you can't just shatter his whole dreams and ideas. Yes. He might get hurt, but that's going to be his life. Mm-hmm. People are going to hurt him and be mean to him sometimes. And you know, that that's what you're there for is to comfort him. If that does happen, you know what I mean? But like, just to be like, no, you can't do it. You know, is like pretty harsh, you know? Yeah. I felt like there was a real parallel there to Jasmine in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like they yeah. were both, admitting that they couldn't shield their sons from really ugly realities. Yeah. But they thought the best thing to do was prepare them and support them. And I, I, I can't imagine how hard that would be to do, but I think it's terrific parenting. Yeah. And also like, at least in Max's case, he shouldn't be punished. Right. For other bullies 
behavior. Like those kids should be punished. Yeah, Find out lets, who wrote those names. Get yeah, them it like lets them off the hook, and it lets their bullying dictate what he does. Yeah. Which I wrote down is vending machine removal level unfair. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is funny that that's his entire platform. I don't know. That's but man, it would suck to have to explain to Max. Here's why these signatures don't count. Oh. Yeah. I don't think you do. Okay, well, is, am I wrong to say that? I mean, like, I think there's times you shatter the innocence and maybe times you don't. Or I also think Will they that, count, though? I mean, if he has to have 25, will I that... feel like the school should understand Max would not have written those names himself. True. And I think okay. that the school should recognize that means kids did sign. And maybe they were signed. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah, crazy. Joke's on that's, them. Joke's on them. It He's counts. your president. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought. I thought it should count. I don't know how those things work. I don't remember because I never ran for those kind of things. But like, I don't remember people having to sign up, get a petition signed. So like, you should just be able to run, right? I, I think I don't you know. should be able to as well. I actually was student government sponsor and now I don't remember. I think maybe they did have to get signatures, but now I'm like, why? It just, <laughs> so, sometimes I go off on tangents about labor. Like I think about how all these colleges make students get letters of recommendation. You know who writes those letters? The English teachers, me. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just think about it. I'm like, the person who wants to go to college should just go to college. And the person who right. wants to run for president should just run for president. And I don't know. Whatever. Well, Melissa, you called it in the last episode, or maybe it was two episodes ago, about the dog's name. Got our little nipper here, little Otis. And- yeah. It's I Otis. said that I thought that I remembered that the dog's name was Otis, so I win. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. I've forgotten so many really important things about this show, but I remember the dog's name, and so give me that. That's really that's something. I also thought that whole scene was there for Erica's benefit. You know, people like Erica who are just dropping into this one episode. It's like, here's a bunch of exposition. <laughs> well, Max, we have this new dog. Your sister is newly at college. <laughs> You're at a new school now, and it's a, it's a lot of work. I'm like, that is not something you would tell the person who is living this. That is just like weird exposition for people dropping in for this episode. So I thought maybe they, they did that for Erica. <laughs> anyway. Well, in the last scene of this storyline, you know, if I'm sticking to my principles, I should disagree with Christina going rogue and saying Max could do it. But I just so agreed with her. I mean, like you said, yeah. Erica, I was so on her side. It's like, this is the right thing to do. But I didn't necessarily love the tit for tat way that Adam got her to change the surgery. Like, well, because mm. you went rogue and overstepped with Max, then I'm going to overstep with you and say oh, you get that, the surgery. I didn't even think of it that way. Even yeah. though I did agree with Adam. It's like, yeah, do it now. Don't, don't wait. Yeah, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, and that's telling, I think, too, even though it's a show and like the fact that women especially just drop everything for everyone else. And it's like, dude, you have cancer. Get it out. If I can do it that day, I'm getting it out. Yeah. Like, is this a little bit more serious? Like, anyway. You know, now I'm thinking maybe Adam was shattering her innocence. Maybe Ooh, that's the theme that's of this the episode. Theme. But you know, Damn. she didn't want to confront that ugly reality. It's like, but you do have cancer, Christina. You gotta, you gotta take care of it. Yeah, the way she was like, this may not seem like a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but I'm room mother. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't. I don't. <laughs> no, <it laughs> not doesn't compared to cancer. Like a big deal when you have cancer. Yeah. 
No, I was totally with you. And you're so right that that is a commentary on women. And I think other women would understand this better than I do, you know, since I'm not also a mother. I think I understand it on a certain level that women are supposed to like acquiesce, you know, and we're supposed to, you know, give and nurture. But boy, I think, yes, if you're if you're a mother, I feel like your identity is supposed to come second. I don't agree with that at all, but I think that's no, what... No, I completely, completely 100% disagree with that. I, I feel like sometimes I get this guilt feeling because I don't feel like I am that enough. Like I don't, I'm not going to lose myself. Yeah. I will take my two hours out of the day and go to the gym. I will, you know what I mean? Like yes. I do have a job. I want, I don't believe that's being selfish. I think that you can only be the best mother if you are the best person you know what I mean like of course I'm gonna volunteer for that stuff and do what I can do there but like I refuse to lose myself you know and if I had cancer I'm I'm sorry but I'm going to get my cancer taken care of you know like yeah it's a little bit over the top I think I agree I I was tense the entire episode um for for pretty much every storyline actually now that I'm thinking about it, it was a really tense episode uh but like that talk with the doctor. And I thought, I I agree with you, Caleb, that he handled that really, really well. He didn't spend valuable time, like really trying to change her mind necessarily. He just brought up the very good point that you have one job and it is to get well, to get healthy. And that is how you can be there for your family. And that means more than seeing Max's speech, you know, and I, I don't mean to belittle something like that, but I think everything must get reframed, recontextualized when you are literally dealing with life and death. You know, I think the things that were important before need to take a back seat. Yeah. Like you had said before, like what good is being there for this event if you're not going to be there for any events after, you know, possibly, you know, to get that taken care of, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, even though I usually don't like it when Adam sort of tells people what to do, I was like... I'm glad you said something. Maybe it wasn't the right way to say something, but I felt relieved when he did and yeah. like that she heard him and and knew it came from a place. See, I think what usually bugs me about Adam is it seems kind of self-righteous, you know, but like this time it was from a place of fear and love. And I'm like, yeah, that, that checks yeah. out. And, she and I feel like that. you could tell he, he'd been wanting to say that the whole episode and wasn't, mm-hmm. which yeah. I, is good of him, but yeah got to clear the air. I sure hope that that um, slot is still free. Like we're just living in a world where that spot has been held for Christina as she decides not to be room mother or mother room. Wait, room mother. (laughs) I'm not a parent. I don't know terms like room mother, which is a probably sexist term. Um, Are there room fathers? Okay, I'm done. All right. What, Caleb? (laughs) You know, I believe this is the first time we learned the fate of Bob Little's campaign from last season. I think it is too. Yeah. Max just tosses it out there. Even though you didn't help Bob Little get elected, I think you'll be good. Yeah. Um, It's funny how I hadn't wondered at all (laughs) what happened with that. That was a dangling thread. I was happy to just let dangle. But But overall, I really loved this episode. I thought all around it just felt really deep between the Jabbar storyline and Zeke and Luke and even things like that should have been more frivolous. I feel like they found the depth in it, like Max running for student council, but it's actually about him developing these skills that he's been working on and Christina putting herself first and Joel figuring out how to better bring Victor into the family, even though it's through a baseball storyline. The whole thing just felt like it was about real stuff. Yeah. 
earlier you said Zeke and Luke, and you should probably just say Ryan right now. So you can- oh, I wrote down Zeke and Luke. I meant Zeke and Ryan, which is funny because I agree with you. Luke never made that much of an impression on me on Friday, Friday Night, Night Lights. Lights. I mean, no. except when he would you know jog with Michael B. Jordan with their shirts off. I loved that. That made an impression. That made an impression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A lot of handsome people on both shows. A lot of handsome people. Yeah. No, I, I overall really loved this episode too. And like like Erica, I, I teared up a few times and I I just appreciated that every storyline felt significant. You know, every once in a while you'll get an episode where one is like, well, that's clearly the throwaway of this episode or that's the one that doesn't matter so much. And I'm like, boy, this was an intense hour of television, which again, I like. I'm not really into small talk, small storylines. I want depth. I want you know, I want to think about things and relate them to real life. And I felt like this show was just, this episode was really good for that. Yeah, Erica, you you had said earlier, you so you liked it. Your first experience. Yeah, I did really like it. Yeah. I, I, I thought that it was very super, like all, like you said, all the storylines were just like intense, right? So like, <laughs> I, I don't, I guess they're not always that intense, but it was very like, I, I liked all of the issues that they touched on, you know? Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm so glad because especially when we're asking someone who's never seen it, you know, even though I didn't make the show, I still feel like, Ooh, I hope they like it. Um. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to waste people's time. True. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Don't want to do that. So, um, but man, you You hated it. Now we're going to make you talk about it for two hours. (laughs) Right. It never ends. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, but anyway, Everyone, thank you for listening. And yeah, thank you again to Erica, who's like incredible. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank and- you. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Um, you can all find us uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Parenthood Pals everywhere. And you can visit us at our website, parenthoodpals.com. So Erica, yeah. I'm going to be starting an all-inclusive project with a YouTube, hopefully a Patreon, um, maybe some product lines. Uh, Black Martha Stewart is the handle. Uh, I'm a chef and I enjoy housewares and, you know, things like that. So basically I am going to be doing a lot involving the Martha Stewart-esque type of lifestyle. So uh, just be on the lookout for that. My Instagram handle is at Black Martha Stewart, B-L-A-K Martha Stewart. And then, uh, yeah, I guess I can just keep you guys posted on when it. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> yeah, awesome. we'll promote and yeah. stuff. I love that. That's so cool. Cool. It was so good to see you again, kind of. And <laughs> yes, you too, Caleb. Even though I just so remember nice your voice you. of an angel singing at the talent shows and stuff. Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that's that's it. Let's do our little sign off. Okay. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always, and may your wishes all come true. <laughs>